Thanks for joining us for the Sermon of the Week. You can find out more information about Legacy Church online at LegacyFamily.tv. All aside, I want to turn our attention to Scripture. If you'll turn with me to Isaiah 42. Today I want to teach a sermon that I've never shared on before. And the title of it is called The Tender One. The Tender One. Many of us, when we think of God, tenderness is not the first thing that comes to mind. Many of us, depending on how we were raised, when we think of God, we think of a distant figure. Some of us have more of the Roman pantheon in mind. We see a God with a big white beard and lightning bolts waiting for us to mess up ready to judge us, ready to attack at a moment's notice because of the sins or the weaknesses of our life. Many of us think he doesn't even hear our prayers. We think of him as a distant figure. And the problem is, if we think of him that way, then we've misunderstood everything Jesus came to do. And so I want to turn our attention to the tender one. In Isaiah 42, it reads this through verses 1 through 4. It says here, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice and the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. A bruised reed he will not break. Some of you, if you have a King James, a smoking flax he will not put out. I don't know how many of you have ever been through a swampland and actually been around reeds. But a bruised reed is a reed that's bent over it. It's already not in good shape. And as you're trudging through a swamp or you're walking through something that is more of a water-based territory, it's easy to step on something like that and snap it in two. It doesn't even take much effort. You could brush up against a bruised reed and break it. Now, maybe you, that's not your thing, but maybe you, you've had a candle in your home before and you've lit it and you've realized it's not quite catching. Maybe the wick's a little too short and so it's getting caught in the wax and it's starting to go out. And all you got to do is move that candle an inch or turn on the AC unit and that candle's gone. And speaking of Jesus, it says he will not do this. The prophet looking ahead says this is the servant who God delights. He won't break a bruised reed. And I think that some of you are here and if you're honest, you feel like a bruised reed. I know we're in church, so some of you have the mask. It's because what we do. Some of you had the parking lot miracle. Are you familiar with what that is? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Here's the parking lot miracle. I don't know this from experience, but I, I, I know about it. It's when you and your spouse are driving to church and you are arguing like cats and dogs on the way. 
But the moment you reach the parking lot, this weird grace overtakes you. And as you open the door, you are a loving couple. You hold hands in church and you pretend like you like each other until you return to said car. And then at that moment, that grace lifts, the miracle dissipates, and you are back to finishing said argument that you've been thinking about the entire church service while you smiled. It's never happened to me. My wife a few times, God bless her soul. But you're here, and you're discouraged. Some of you are here, and and you know that there's private bondage in your life. And it's church time, so we do the church thing. But you're in pain. Some of you, your marriages are not doing good. You say you love each other, but you barely like each other. You can't remember the last time you snuck into a bedroom and smiled. Kids are gone. I can say that, right? And you're a bruised reed. And the thing that's happening is you're not turning to the Lord because the idea you have of him is that he's more disappointed in you than you are in yourself. And he's more angry at you than you are at yourself. And so you start to distance yourself because you don't know him as tender. You don't know him as kind. Matthew 12 There's a dialogue here, and this same passage from Isaiah 42 is then quoted, but I want to look at the passage that comes before it. In Matthew 12 and verse 9, this is Jesus in ministry. He says, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. In verse 10, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. I want to stop there. If you continue on, you'll see that then it says this was to fulfill the very passage we just read out of Isaiah 42. They find a man with a withered hand. It's interesting, in that particular dynamic, this is not something he could have done. It didn't say a wounded hand. It didn't say a broken hand. It said a withered hand. That meant he would have been born that way that it was something that he didn't really do to himself, but it was innately there. may have been something done to him in the womb, something that had been a part of his development. But all of his life, he carried this mark, this pain, this thing he was ashamed of. And all of his life, he probably hid it. Imagine if it was his right hand in our culture. That always awkward moment some of you lefties might understand where you go to shake hands, but everybody's right-handed and they want to reach for your right, and he doesn't want to show that hand because that's the place of shame and embarrassment and pain. That's the thing he doesn't want people to think about, and that's not how you put your good foot forward. So, you know, I can imagine there are times he has his hand in his pocket, and if you see him, you think he's just fine, he's normal. Everything's okay. 
until all of a sudden somebody tries to hand something to him and he goes, I can't carry it. And see, some of us have the same thing, but it's in our soul. There are things, there are places that are wounded and no one can see it until it's needed. No one realizes it's there until all of a sudden they poke it and that thing rises up in us. No one knows that we have hidden anger until all of a sudden we're slighted or an offense takes place. And inside it's turmoil and inside it's pain and we wonder if he's even willing to heal that place. So we don't even bring it out. And this is the thing I love about what Jesus does. He tells him to stretch forth his withered hand. He says, bring the thing that you're ashamed of. Bring the thing that's caused you embarrassment. Bring the thing that's caused you pain and put it out in the light. And what I'm asking some of you to consider today is maybe Jesus is saying the same thing about some of those withered places inside of you. Maybe he wants to show you his tenderness today to let you know it's okay. To let you know that that anger that you have towards your father that you've been holding on since you were a little boy or a little girl, that he can touch that today. That maybe that divorce you don't like to talk about because that spouse betrayed you. He can heal that today. How far do we need to go in this conversation? Because some of you are carrying some wounds and some trauma. And we did church and we raised hands and we looked to heaven and we did all the right stuff. We sang Waymaker, Miracle Worker, and then we hit our withered hand. See, we're not going to affect the community that we're in as long as we have withered hands that we hide. Because part of the testimony is letting him into those places you're ashamed of. And part of the testimony is allowing him to be tender to you and to be kind to you, even though you know you didn't do anything to deserve it. Why? So that you can give it out to someone else. One of the ways that we, able, we are able to stay in judgment of others is because we never put our stuff on display. I heard this recently. It was one of the most profound insights I've ever seen in Scripture in a long time. We read of that passage, judge not lest you be judged, and it talks about taking the plank out of our eye and you know, not worrying about the speck in another person's eye. But if you read that passage in Matthew, you go to the next verse, it says, not to cast your pearl before swine and before dogs. And most of the time, we use that passage to justify why we didn't share the gospel at work because they're swine. Or we use it for why we didn't step up and say the right thing because they wouldn't have received it well. And they wouldn't have liked what we had to say. And so wisdom is I keep my pearls until I know it's the right opportunity. But my friend Matthew said this. He said, if we look at things from a hermeneutical principle, meaning the study of Scripture, we study Scripture based on its context. And so the passage about swine or dogs and pearls is right after do not judge. He said, what if the issue is you can give your pearls to anyone as long as you don't judge them to be a swine or a dog? What if you looked at everyone as able and worthy of love? and worthy of the most valuable thing you have. And what if you realize that withered place when it's healed becomes the most valuable thing you have? Some of you say, I don't know how to lead someone to Jesus. I don't know how to do the Romans Road dialogue. I don't know what to say. Yeah, but can you show them a withered hand that is whole? 
Can you tell him how he healed your marriage? Can you tell you can you tell him how he took that pain from the abuse as a child and it doesn't mark you anymore? Can you tell him how Jesus was tender? How he was kind? When we look at Isaiah 53, it was referenced earlier, and we know about the healing and whatnot. But I want to start at verse 7. And I want to highlight something here to show again the tenderness of our Lord. Because most of us could not suffer silently, especially if it was unjust. Now, if I deserve it, if I've done something wrong, then by all means, I, I need to pay the penalty. But I have kids, and I know what happens if my daughter comes in and says, Brooklyn did such and such, and Brooklyn knows he either didn't do it or he did it because of what Mila did. Brooklyn comes in yelling, wait a second, Dad, wait a second, Dad. Mila did A, B, and C, and that's why I smacked her. I know your kids never hit each other. Mine do. Um, and my daughter, even though you just heard of a boy hitting a girl, my daughter is fierce, so don't feel pity for her at all. She would ruin every one of those boys if I let her. But we protest. We say, no, you can't. That's not fair. That's not right. I, didn't, I don't deserve that. And in verse 7 of Isaiah 53, it says this. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Does this sound like any God you know? Have you ever just meditated on that? Have you ever sat down and said, maybe my idea of God doesn't match up with the quietness of a man who's suffering on my behalf because he loves me so much that it says with joy he faced the cross? I realize some of you may be mature in the faith and you're going, Adam, we know this stuff, but there's someone in this room that doesn't know Jesus this way. There's someone in this room who still continues to beat yourself up and to judge yourself, and you're going to leave here and you're going to do the same thing, and I'm trying to stop it here. I'm trying to say it doesn't have to be that way. See, I was the kid whose mother gave him away. And I walked with anger all my life. Didn't know why mom didn't love me enough to keep me. And then I was the kid who blew my knee out, had four knee surgeries, and some nice prophet got up and said, God did that to you because there was sin in your life. By the time I got to college, I had so much anger at God and the idea of God. My whole family's in ministry. Grandfather was a pastor. Five uncles were pastors. So all I knew was this, and I thought it was all just ridiculous. It was a great show, and I was so angry. And so I got to college, and I ran from God. And I did everything in my power to destroy my life and to destroy my call. And when God finally began to draw me back to himself, the thing I couldn't believe was that he'd be tender towards me. I didn't think I was worth it. I thought for certain he would judge me. 
For all the nights that I can't remember because I was blacked out. For all the girls' that hearts I've broken in the ways I treat them. For all the things I did. I said, there's no way he's going to restore me. There's no way he's going to be kind to me. He can't do that. I deserve something worse. Some of you are in here and you don't know how good he is. Or how kind. Or how tender You know about the Lion of Judah. You know God's powerful and he's mighty. But you don't know how to hear him whisper your name in delight and say he's for you, not against you. I want to turn to one more passage. And I want to look at something I think is profound. We get to Revelation chapter 5. And in this chapter, John is in the heavenly seeing an open vision here and he's experiencing something many of us can't even begin to understand. And it says that he sees a scroll that is sealed. And he begins to weep and he begins to cry because no one is worthy to open the seal. Now, I'm not going to go into a weird eschatological discussion this morning, but I want to look at something very interesting. So if you'll go there, I'm going to read it to you. I just said some of it, but I want you just to follow me. It says in verse 1, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on a throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now look, this is what we would expect. We would expect right here that when we need a power moment, when we need someone to do the thing that cannot be done, that it would be the lion, that it would be the conqueror, that it would be the root of David, that would be the one. But look what John sees in the next verse. Verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. John is weeping, saying, I don't know who's worthy to open these scrolls. An elder says to him, the lion, but when he looks, he sees a lamb. Now, I think it's very interesting 
Because in our minds, we would think if someone needed the power to open something, that the line would be the picture you would lean on. That you would need God to do something, you'd lean on his power. But what he sees is probably one of the most tender animals you could consider, a lamb. Why am I highlighting this? Because some of you have things that are locked up inside of you that don't need God to be powerful. They need him to be tender. They need him to be kind. They need him to be gentle and encouraging. And some of you aren't even willing to come this morning to this idea. That's all right. If I'm at a place where you're like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want to open that Pandora's box, that's okay. During service, you can sit quietly and say, Jesus, would you come explore that place in my heart with me? He can meet you where you're at. He can meet you at home where you feel safe. But some of you need the lamb. And all you know how to do is worship the lion. And what's interesting is sometimes when we meet others, we try to use the lamb as a method of salvation, but not a method of deliverance. Because we want to meet everyone in power. And there's places for power. Healing is a place for power. When you want to see that little boy's cancer healed, that's a place for power. But I'll tell you, the places of the heart are not for power encounters. They're for compassion and tenderness and kindness. I want to tell you a story, and then I'm done. My grandfather used to tell it. And it's something that has great value to me. But he would tell the story of this art collector. Lived out in the Hamptons in New York. Beautiful mansion. And this art collector had a son. His wife had passed away. He had a young boy. Now, when I say he's an art collector, I'm not saying of cute local pieces. I'm saying Picasso and Monet. He had valuable, priceless pieces of art. And everyone knew that he had one of the nicest private collections one could have. And his son grew up, and his son decided he was going to join the military. And he was going to go to war. And so the young man went off to war, and he died. And this art collector was alone. All he had left was his artwork. And he was walking his home sad and and discouraged. He'd lost his boy, and all of a sudden he heard a knock on the door. Surprised at the time of day, he went out to the door and he opened it. And there was a man standing there that he didn't know and didn't understand. And the man said to him, I was in boot camp with your son. And I was stationed with him. And I went to war with him. And I was there when he died. And he died saving my life. And he told me when we were in boot camp how you loved artwork and how you were such an avid art collector. And I had told him that I enjoyed painting and I enjoyed doing art myself. And so I decided, I I didn't know what to give you. I didn't know what to say, but I needed to come see you because of what your son did for me. So I painted this picture of your son. And I know it's not going to be like the masterpieces on your wall. And I know it's not going to be the thing that's the most valuable, but it's, it's the best that I can give you is this picture of your boy. And so he, he, he handed it to me and he uncovered the painting and the man began to weep. 
because he saw a, a, a drawing, a, a picture of his son. And he called one of the, the servants of the house in and he said, listen, go move that painting off, off the mantelpiece there over, over every other painting in the house. Take it and move it and put my son's painting there. And there on the fireplace that painting sat. And the man died. He had no heir. He had nothing. And the community, excited at his death, said, now we can finally have access to all of these paintings. They're going to go up for auction. And so every who's who of the art world came, and they sat in his living room, and they got ready to auction off all of these great paintings. And so they were expecting the Picasso, and they were expecting the Monet. They were expecting those of value and renown. And the auctioneer said, wait, 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 before any of these paintings come up, we have this painting of the man's son. And the people began to boo. They didn't want to deal with this. They said, what is this? Well, this is not what we're here for. You know what we're here for. This should be at the end of the auction. It's the thing of least value. It's the place of his pain. It's the thing that doesn't mean anything to us. But the young man who had painted it had come. And he was sitting there. And so the auctioneer said, well, will someone give $100 for this painting? And they laughed at him. No one would take it. And the man who painted it said, I'll, I'll give $10. And he said, anyone, anyone, more than 10, someone 20, something, nothing. I'll give $10. And so the man took the gavel and he struck and he said, the auction has ended. People were upset. What do you mean the auction's ended? And he said, the owner of this painting put in his will that at this auction, whoever would take the picture of his son would get everything else he had. Some of you here need to allow the parts of the sun you've never encountered to be a part of your life today. Some of you here need to let his tenderness touch your heart because in it is access to everything else the Father has. All his power, all his might, all his glory, all his wealth, it's all found in that son that suffered. Thanks for listening today. You can keep up with fresh content, find out more about our upcoming events, and give to support Legacy Church all online at LegacyFamily.tv. From all of us here at Legacy Church, have a blessed week.